Good morning, loved ones who have braved the snow. And if we look outside now, it is the sun. So that is good. We know that it exists. So um, if you would, please open your Bibles to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. Or your phones, whatever you got handy that brings up Romans 5. I still like hearing the pages turn. So as I was, as I was going through this, you know, I, I spent some time, I don't know, years back, and I, I went through Romans with, with our high school group that we were with at the time, and it was just phenomenal. And I was reading through it, and I'm like, man, I got to do this again. So uh, hopefully one of these times we can go through Romans again. It would be a definite trek of time, but it is well worth it for sure. So let's go ahead and pray, and then we'll get started. Oh, but first, Marcus and Sabrina, thank you, and Martin for, for shoveling. You know, they got out there, and those two kids were shoveling away. So I was like, yes. So that was good. So now let's go ahead and pray. Father, we thank you that we can come today and worship you. Lord, we thank you that we can worship you in our singing, in our giving, and now in our preaching. Lord, thank you so much for these people that have made these hymns and have written these songs, Lord, that we can come and we can, our hearts can be moved, Lord, to worship you in such a way. And Lord, now I just ask that your spirit would come and you would move our souls today, Lord, to worship you even greater after we know the truths of your word. So Father, I just ask that you would do this in your name. Amen. So as we come for communion today, of course we come and we celebrate and we remember what Christ has done for us. We remember his his death for us, that he bore the wrath of God for us, that he has forgiven us of all of our sins. And this is a accomplished work. It is an accomplished work that is done. His resurrection, also an accomplished work, has justified us and has shown that we are pleasing in God's sight. So what I want us to think about today as we come here is where our hearts are with God. Are we uh, frustrated at times? Are we, uh, is it just normal? Are we troubled? You know, we get the snow, we get all troubled, we get all weary, we get worried about our work, we get worried about our bosses, we get worried about life, where's it going? And we have to be reminded oftentimes of who we are. Right? We're, we're, we're children of God, and we have to be reminded of who we are. This is really throwing me off. Somebody's got to sit over here. So, because I'm, I'm looking over here, and I'm like, <laughs> sorry, all of you in the Zoom land. It's really weird to look over here and, and everything, but, uh, but, we, but we have to be reminded of, of who we are and, and what, what Christ has done for us. So in Romans 5, we see this, but first of all, we have to see something else. If we look up in Romans verse 22, um, it says, this is, 
That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. That was Abraham. Abraham believed God, and so his faith was considered righteous because he believed God, not by his works, but because he believed God. And then it goes on to say, uh, that is why it was counted to him as righteousness, but the word it is counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up, here's our death, right, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. This is the objective work of Jesus Christ. This is what he did. He was delivered up for our sin and he was raised for our justification. We come and we we celebrate that. We Remember that he was delivered up for our sins. And then Paul goes in and he says, therefore. There is a reason why therefore is therefore because of what came before the therefore. Therefore, since Jesus was delivered up for our trespasses and he was raised for our justification, now comes us. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into his grace in which we stand and which we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our suffering knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit whom he has given to us. So what I want us to be able to do is come to the table today when we come to communion rejoicing rejoicing in these truths that we are justified. We are a justified people. That's what Romans 5.1 says. Therefore, since we have been justified. Now, this justified means that we are innocent. We are free. We are not guilty anymore. This is a one-time action. God, through the finished work of Christ, he has declared us just. He has declared us righteous. This is not something we merit. It is not something that we've earned. He has declared us just. We are not guilty. We stand fully righteous because we are in Christ. Romans 5, 9 says it this way. Since therefore we have now been justified, how? By his blood, much more shall we be saved by, by him from the wrath of God. Acts 13, 38, 39 says this. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, and by him everyone who believes is freed from every from everything which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. So we are justified completely and fully. But the beautiful thing about it is, is when we read in Romans, we see that God is not only the one who justified, but he is the one who is also just. Romans 3, 26 and 27. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier, the one who has faith in Jesus. So not only is God the one who is just, who is righteous, who is holy, perfection, but he is the one who justifies us. He is the one who makes us holy, right? Who has faith in Jesus. Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. So we can't boast about it because there's nothing we did. So we can't walk around saying, oh, I'm justified, I'm justified. Look at what I, you did nothing, God has declared you justified. 
But what kind of law? By what kind of law? Law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. And Jesus' resurrection, proof that we are justified. We just read it. But for ours also will be counted to us who believe in him who raised us from the dead, Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses, raised for our justification. And this is all by faith. This is all by faith. It's not by works. We are not justified by works. Remember Abraham, when we look at that, Abraham was counted righteous because of his faith. And then came circumcision, not because of works. You weren't considered right beca- righteous because you were circumcised. It's the same thing. Brothers and sisters, we are declared righteous because of our faith in Jesus Christ, because of his work. That is why we are declared righteous. This belief that we believe this. Galatians 2.16 puts it this way. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law because by works of the law, no one will be justified. So he's, he's really, you know, his argument is really simple when it comes to being justified. He's just saying it doesn't matter how many works you do. That is not what justifies you. What justifies you is your faith in Jesus Christ and his finished work upon the cross. That is what justifies us. That's why we are justified. Listen to what Paul says about his works, right? Paul was like the Pharisee of Pharisees. He was blameless in all his his dealings is what he says. He says, but whatever gain I had, I count as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. Jesus, my Lord, for his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. So we see because of Christ's death, because of what Jesus has done for us, because of his resurrection, we are a justified people. We should rejoice in this fact that we are a justified people. But not only that, but we are at peace with God. Sometimes we might think like, oh, I was always at peace with God. But no, you were not always at peace with God. Ever since the fall, God was at war with humankind. It was never peace. We needed the peacemaker. We need the peacemaker. And because Jesus and God has declared us righteous, we have peace with God. We have this quietness with God. This is a continued action. We, we continually have peace with God. It never goes away. We're always having peace with God. That means we're no longer an enemy. That means we're no longer an enemy. It means we've been reconciled to God, right? Romans 5.10. For if while we were enemies, there we go. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. So we have to understand that at one point in time in our lives, even if you were raised in a Christian home, you were an enemy. We have to get that into our minds, brothers and sisters. We have to. That's what the Bible tells us. Paul tells us that at one point in time, we all, every one of us that are sitting here and you that are listening, were enemies of God. You did not always love God. You did not always love God. For while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by by the death of his son. Much more. Now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life? 
and the effects of our justification, our justification is this peace. Listen to Isaiah 32, 17. And the effect of righteousness will be peace. And the result of righteousness, quietness and trust forever. This is that peace we have with God, this quietness we have with God, that we know that our relationship with God is good. But it's not because we made it good. It's because he made it good. He is the one that has done all the reconciling work. We have Christ's peace, right? We have Christ's peace because of his death. Peace I leave you with. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives to you do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. That's what the Apostle John tells us, right? When he's writing, Jesus says, my peace I give to you. And this peace, this peace comes from the cross, it comes from the cross, Colossians 1.20. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. This peace rules in our hearts in Colossians 3.15. And let the peace of Christ rule in your heart, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. So since, therefore, we have been justified by faith, we now have peace with God. We have that peace with him. And not only that, but we have access to him. We have access to God. Look at Romans 5.2. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. This is our standing in this grace. And we rejoice in the hope of glory of God. This access, this admission that we have. It's, it's, it's access to God now. In the Old Testament, we have to remember in the Old Testament, on the Day of Atonement, that there was only one person that could go in to the Holy of Holies, and who was that? Right, right, it was the high priest. And he had to go through all these cleaning rituals, right, to make sure he was clean. And actually, you know, when it talks about Aaron, that says he wore bells on his, on his, uh, tunic or his garb that he wore so that they could hear him still walking around because if he didn't go in there in the right way he's going to die so if the bells were ringing Aaron was safe but if they weren't ringing they had to get him out of there right but we have this access to God now that's how it was in the Old Testament and in in the temple in the Old Testament there was a curtain that divided the holy place from the holy of holies. So there was no access for the people into the holies of holies. But because of the death of Christ, we now can enter into that presence. We can enter in. We can go through the veil, which is Christ's body, which is his flesh. And Christ has torn that veil from top to bottom. He has ripped it open for all of us to have access. Listen to Matthew twenty-seven fifty-one. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook, and the rocks were split. This is when Christ died. This is when it was finished. That's what took place when it was finished. The veil was torn. Access we have in to God now because of Christ through him. And the earth shook, and the rocks were split. The creator had just died. And the earth knew it, and the temple knew it. And he had torn that. So we have access into the holies of holies through him, through Christ. Hebrews 10, 19 and 20. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places 
by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. We enter into the presence of God through Christ, through his perfect work. Ephesians 2.18 says this way, For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. This is massive, brothers and sisters, that we have access to God the Father at the speed of a spoken word. We go into his presence like that. Just like that. Wow, this should amaze us. We should be blown away by this. This should cause our hearts to rejoice that at any moment, any trial, any tribulation, you have access to the King of kings and the Lord of lords like that. Yes, we come and we celebrate that because this is what Christ has accomplished. This is where, he, where, where we have a confidence and this is where we stand. This is your standing. This doesn't change. You're justified. You have peace and we have access. This does not change. This is where we stand doesn't change and because it's God who's the one that keeps this standing Jude 24 now to him who's able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy this is where we stand he holds us there he's the one who holds us there and so with this standing we can rejoice and one day we will share in the glory of God this is our ultimate end is to share in this glory. This is what we hope for, is to share in this glory, our ultimate end. And Jesus prays for this glory. We, 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 we see it in Romans 5, Romans 5, 2. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God, in the share in that glory of God. And we see where Jesus prays for us to have this glory. John 17, 22. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. Paul tells us that we are being transformed into this glory in 2 Corinthians 3.18. And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. And John says that this glory will be realized when Christ comes and gets us. In 1 John 3.1 and 2. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Beloved, we are God's children now. Now. We are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when He appears, when Christ appears, we shall be like Him because we shall see Him as He is. Christ will return with a glorified body and he will change our bodies, our vile bodies is what Paul says in Philippians, to be like his glorious body and we will share in that glory. This is who we are. This is who we are. Is your heart beginning to rejoice? Is your soul beginning to rejoice in who you are because of what Christ has done? We can smile, brothers and sisters. We really can. We can rejoice in this. And not only that, but we can rejoice in our suffering. That's what Romans 5, 3, and 4 says. Not only that, but 
We rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. You know, suffering is just tribulation or, or troubles. You know, this is anything that comes. It's physical ailments, it's pains, it's sickness, it's our bodies. As we get older, right, our bodies just start to give out, start to stop. They start not working as they used to work. It's pains, it's ailments, it's bad bosses, it's bad people we work with, it's tough family members, it, it's, it's tragedy in your families, it's, it's a loss of job, it's, it's persecution for your faith, it's persecution for what you believe, right? We can rejoice in our sufferings. Listen to what Luke 6, 22 and 23 says about being persecuted for our faith. Blessed are you. How about that one? Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. Blessed are we when people hate us because of Christ. We are blessed because the kingdom of heaven is ours. When we're reviled for the name of Christ, we are blessed. This is rejoicing in that suffering. 1 Peter 4.19 puts it this way, Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Oh, when we're suffering, we're to do what? We're to entrust our souls to a faithful creator because he is good. And not only that, but this suffering then produces endurance or patience, right? As we keep our eyes on Christ, as we keep our eyes patiently on the prize, as we go through suffering, it produces patience, it produces endurance, it produces character. It's proof that you are a believer. It's the Christian character that comes out in us. It's a Christian character. And it also produces hope, this expectation, this confidence, this confidence in God's word and God's character. And that brings us to our fifth point, that we have hope. We are a people that have hope. We have a hope. And it, this is what it says. 5-2, I'm gonna read 5-2 and 5-5 together. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into his grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And hope does not put us to shame because God love has poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So we rejoice that we have hope. Why? Why should we rejoice? Because our hope doesn't put us to shame. The hope that we have does not disappoint. This is the difference between a worldly hope and a biblical hope. A worldly hope is always going to disappoint. A hope of a better job, a better wife, better kids, I don't know. I hope sometimes for better kids, but my kids are pretty cool. But anyways, that, that hope of what we want, a hope of a raise, I hope that our business keeps going great. See, those hopes are going to disappoint. But the hope of Christ's return, the hope of who we are in Christ, see, that, that's confident hope. That's a hope that will never disappoint and it will never put us to shame. Psalms 119, 116 puts it this way. 
uphold me according to your promises, that I may live. Let me not be put to shame in my hope. Romans 9.33, as it is written, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Because Christ is our hope. He is the hope. Hebrews 6.18, So that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. Hope does not disappoint because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. That's why it doesn't disappoint. Imagine that. Did you guys figure that out? God's love has been poured out into our hearts. His love was poured out into our hearts because of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, God gives us. So His love's been poured out into our hearts. We know that this love, that God loves us because of the Holy Spirit testifies to this. Even though there are times in our lives when we question God's love for us, but it's never a question in His thought. We might question God's love, but God never questions his love for us. It's been poured out into our hearts. Listen to 1 John 4. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever love has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. And this is the love of God, was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. This is the love that's been poured out into our hearts. If we say we love God, we can't hate our brothers. It's impossible. It's impossible to do that. And because of God's love's been poured out into our heart, we know that he loved us first. We know that 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 Christ dying on the cross, that he propitiated God's wrath, was because of his love, was because of his love. And we know that because the Spirit testifies of that, because the Spirit has been given to us. Romans 8, 9 tells us this way, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. God has given us the Spirit, and he hasn't given us the Spirit to just kind of be someone that we that, that we put on the side of us. No, the Holy Spirit dwells in us. He dwells in us. We are his temple. 1 Corinthians six nineteen and 20. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. Our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So brothers and sisters, today we come here, today, with rejoicing for what Christ has done for you. If Christ does not go for that cro- to that cross, we are none of these. We have no spirit. We have no love. We have no hope. We don't rejoice in any suffering. We don't have peace with God. We don't have access to God. And least of all, we are still condemned and guilty but we come and we celebrate that that's not us now because christ did go to that cross so as we come to the communion table brothers and sisters now we have to be sure our hearts are right 
that we come with hearts that are pure, that aren't filled with sin, that aren't filled with hate. We have to be sure that our hearts are repentant. We have to make sure that we examine ourselves. We always have to give a warning here. And this is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, 27 through 29. Whoever therefore eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. If you're an unbeliever here today, don't take this. This is not for you. Please don't take it. Let it pass by. There's no shame in passing it by. If you're a believer here and your heart's not right, let it go by. There's no shame in that. Let it go by. Examine your own life. So as the elders come forward, take a few minutes now as we pass out the bread and cup to make sure that your heart is right. Only one. Well, here. Okay.